Alrighty, welcome back to another episode of the Justify Your Existence podcast. Um, I'm your host, Brendan Farrell. I'm here with my co-host, James Murphy. James, say hello. Hello, and happy holidays, folks. Yeah, so it is Monday, December 18th. Um, This is going to be our last episode of the year, I guess. Yep, last episode of the calendar year before New Year's comes along. Yeah, because, you know, next week is Christmas, and James, as much as I love doing this, um, not doing it on Christmas, sorry. No, no, I totally get that, uh, especially on Christmas Day, you'd much rather, people would much rather be with family. Yeah, um, both of us are going to be out of town anyway, so, um, but anyway, that being said, um, you know, James and I both write for the Daily Journal, you can see all of our coverage at djournal.com. And follow us on social at DJournal Sports. You can also follow me on Twitter at BFarrell727 and James at JS Murphy Media. And, um, you know, speaking of Christmas, today's agenda is uh, first Mississippi State men's basketball gifting some uh, local fans a W yesterday in town. And then um, talking about Ole Miss's, Ole Miss football's kind of holiday hall here so yeah james uh well anyway uh, if you follow either of us or both of us on twitter you would see that yesterday um we went out and watched uh, a basketball game in tupelo we did and i would like to reiterate for those who saw that it felt odd going to a mississippi high school slash major college sporting event without a press pass but I got to say, it was a really nice experience. I really liked the arena, and it had a nice ambiance to it. Yeah, were you uh, just, like, constantly trying to, like, feel around your neck for, like, a lanyard holding a credential or something? Well, I spent a little bit of time doing that, but I spent more time realizing that I was a lot farther from the field of play than usual, and that took some getting used to. But once I was, it was like, oh, this is nice. This is a nice view. Get to see a little bit of everything. That and uh, you had to, you know, use the restrooms and concession or concourse you know uh like a normal average person yes yes i did have to do that like a normal average person but um was able to beat the crowd just enough yeah so uh mississippi state played a um i guess technically it was a neutral site game i don't know quote unquote neutral site the i wrote a story about the whole setup and the phrase that i heard thrown around was offsite um but yes they come away with a 72 54 win over north texas um, and it did not look like it was gonna go that way early on it did not i think they started off they if i'm correct if i read the review by if i read the game story by benjamin rosenberg correct Uh, Mississippi State missed their first seven shots, and uh, North Texas made their first five, which put them in a 10-point hole pretty early on. But, you know, as the first half progressed, they initially started to find a little bit of a groove, and two, eventually they took some momentum in a halftime and eventually used that to create even more momentum and run away with what ended up being a fairly comfortable win. And, uh, you know, Keyshawn Murphy was a big reason for that, and... um, Brendan, at least from what I saw, the guy just looked like a mismatch no matter where he was. Yeah, a a big win for all the Murphys in attendance yesterday. Very big win. We absolutely love it. But um, look, I think he uh, looked like he had 18 points, 8 for 14 from the field. I believe that's a career high for a guy who had been battling injuries ever since he came to Starkville. And 
just from what I saw in the game, the guy, it's one of those deals where you have a guy with great size who's also very mobile, and that combination allows him to be um, a threat from either the outside or in, in the post and just a really hard guy to defend to a point where, you know, he was a mismatch almost no matter who you put on him because he was able to either just get, just get up for a ball over a guy he was a little bit taller than or just be able to outmuscle a guy. So, you know, if they can get him going, obviously, down the stretch heading into SEC play, that'll be big. Yeah, it was certainly the uh... – Keyshawn Murphy game because I think at one point I turned to you I'm like I'm pretty sure like I just feel like he has every single point they've scored because uh, I think a lot of them came in the first half when they were struggling for points early on yeah I think his run ended up get, getting them may make obviously t- helping to tie the game I believe he had a slam dunk towards the end of the first half right before the buzzer gave them a lot of momentum at the break yeah it was kind of a uh interesting first half um where i think at one point they were trailing like 11 to 1 or something and i was sitting there going this is really bad (laughs) yeah it was and uh you know mississippi state just really was having trouble getting offense going and defensively i think they were okay because they were forcing north texas to shoot with i think usually five or fewer seconds left on the shot clock but you know, once they were able to get a shot off, it usually went in, even if it was like a contested three in the corner or maybe somebody was doubled up in the post or at around mid-range. They were just able to find it in, and then it just switched Mississippi State's way. Yeah, I think at one point in the first half, I turned to you, and I'm like, I feel like North Texas is shooting like 85%, and then you check your phone, and you're like, they're shooting 85%. Yeah, that was exactly right. And uh, even the one shot that they missed it ended up being a putback that went in. It just showed kind of how things were turning on its head early on. Yeah, but somehow, um, despite their struggles in the first half, they still went to halftime up 36-32. Um, you know, they scored – or sorry, they went on a 14-2 to run to close out the first half, um, you know, kind of ending it with that dunk right before halftime. And um, they also scored 18 of the first 22 points of the second half. So uh, at that point, it was over. <laughs> yeah, I think it's safe to say that once you're able to do that, that, uh, well, let's just say it gets things going. Yeah, uh, Mississippi State also only turned the ball over three times. Um, they won the turnover battle 16 to 3. So that always helps, too. Absolutely. And, and you, they were able to force some the entire game, really. And, even from a fouls perspective, they had much fewer than North Texas. I think, I think Mississippi State got into the bonus with what was it a little before halfway through the first half. Like they got there pretty early, and you could kind of tell that even they weren't even if when they weren't getting a lot of points on the board. Fundamentally, they just seemed a little bit more sound than North Texas. Yeah, uh, Mississippi State also we we talk about them forcing fouls. A lot of them were in the paint, obviously. Uh, they also outscored North Texas 36 to 20 in the paint. So, really big with uh, guys like Keyshawn Murphy and number 15 was, uh, if I'm correct, Jimmy Brown Jr. Jimmy Bell. Jimmy Bell Jr. Yes. Yeah. So uh, North Texas in the first half shot five of 13 from uh, behind the three point line. 0 for 11 in the second half. Yeah. Look, I mean, basketball at least I believe is a game of momentum. And you got to make sure that you have it at the right time. Mississippi State had none early on. But um, one of the things that stood out to me in the piece was uh, when 
Benjamin was talking to Chris Jans, and Chris Jans was talking about how this team is built on toughness. And that toughness gave them the mindset, even when they were down 10 or more points, to just be like, okay, we're going to keep chipping away. We're going to keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. Until late in the first half, they were able to get that momentum. Yeah, it's kind of funny. They shot roughly or virtually the same percentage both halves, 41.4% versus 419 Basically the same. Um, but they really just put the clamps on North Texas. Really, I mean, I, I'll, I'll tell you the, the half split here in a second. But it really felt like more like it was, you know, kind of like the last five, eight minutes of the first half and then the rest of the game. But the splits in the halves were uh, 54.2% for uh, the first half for North Texas and 217 in the second half. Like, that's a big difference. 100%. And it came, it just seemed like North Texas's shots got harder and harder and harder to be able to get, get just to get an open look and be able to convert, even if they did. Because, like, look, as I said earlier, even early in, even when North Texas was shooting really well, it was taking them about 25 or more of the 30 seconds in a shot clock to be able to get it off. So you, you could tell that Mississippi State was had something going on defense, but you know they were able to take it up another notch when they were just able to um, really make sure they could finish on a lot of those instances, a lot of those possessions. Yeah, and then uh, you know it just really helps when um, you, know, you kind of have a, a role guy, you know, kind of deep in the rotation all of a sudden just kind of go off one day. College basketball is weird sometimes. It is, and it's a sport where depth is really important. You don't necessarily have to go nine or ten deep, but to be able to have a guy to be able to come off the bench and give you that kind of production is really big, especially at this point in the season where you're trying to get a better idea of who and what you are as a team, like what works for you, what matchups might be a little bit better, and how you're going to be able to implement that so that you can execute and get the best results going forward. Yeah, and then uh, I was looking through um, kind of Mississippi State's stats this year on uh, Bark Torvik, and because um, I was just curious on what kind of the minutes I've been looking like for Keyshawn Murphy, and um, he doesn't get a ton of them. <laughs> so you know, for him to make the most of it, I think was was pretty big for him. It is, and again, a lot of the reason for that is just health. You know he hasn't been on the he hasn't been healthy enough to be on the court and get a lot of those minutes. But again, if he is, it could be a difference maker. Yeah, um, just overall, what do you think of the environment in Tupelo this weekend? Pretty good. I like the ambiance. Probably one of the few arenas that I've been to without a jumbotron, but I did like the setup. I think that it's really cool that Tupelo has a place where they can host events like that on a consistent enough basis, where they can get big colleges there and. Uh, it was just a lot of fun to be at and experience. Yeah, and then, uh, once again, I'm, I'm just going to keep plugging this, you know, with zero shame. But uh, I, I wrote a whole story about this. It's the first time they've been there in 10 years. First in 10 years. And this was part of Magnolia Madness, if I'm correct. I mean, that's what the, I mean this was just a one-game thing. So, I mean, that was, I guess that was the tagline that they were using. But, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I, I, think I, I think I told you the whole like, Jumbotron thing. It's like, it just feels kind of weird it does but you know there, there's some score there's i think two scoreboards in each corner one from and they're on like opposite sides so they're kind of parallel to each other but um you know it, it works and it was a really nice setup it was really cool that they were able to do that 
yeah, it was kind of interesting because I think they had the Harlem Globetrotters there the day before. And, uh, and here in Tupelo, they have um, a rink in the arena for, you know, public skating sessions. And rather than, you know, take apart the ice rink and then put it back together again, they just put the court over it. And most places take apart the ice rink before putting the court on it. I'm not entirely sure how those um, kind of arena conversions work, though. Uh, I do like watching those time lapses; though they're very interesting. Oh, they're so cool! Just to see how that all transpires in such a short amount of time. Some of those places they do it within a span of 24 hours. Yeah, well, I mean, they have to do it a lot because, you know, think about. I mean, it doesn't even have to be like MSG or something. Like, you know, if you if you live in a, a city with you know, a major NBA team and an NHL team. Well, you're also going to have to worry about, like, concerts and stuff midseason, too. So, like, those places take it apart a lot. But I think it's interesting seeing that from, like, a Tupelo perspective because, well, it just doesn't happen that often here. No, it doesn't. But, but again, having that kind of versatility in a place like Tupelo, that's got to be pretty attractive for nearby cities. Yeah, I think – I'm trying to find it again, but – I think the last time State was here, they got uh, just a touch over 2,000 people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the attendance that they reported for this year was uh, 2,662 people. That's a noted improvement. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not doing the math in my head right now, but I mean, that's that's a pretty significant uptick in people, especially when you look at it from like a percentage you know, basis. Yeah, and to be able to get that, not just from Tupelo, but also surrounding communities, that's a pretty good sign for, not just for Mississippi State, but for any college in the area. That, and I think I saw um, that North Texas practice in Tupelo's gym the other day. Yeah, they did, and Tupelo's got a pretty nice gym from what I understand. Yeah, I just pulled up that uh, game from 10 years ago, like almost on the spot 10 years ago, December 13th, 2013, against Southeastern Louisiana, um, 2035, so... It's a solid 600 plus people. But uh, yeah, anything else you want to touch on? Really cool to be able to experience that event. Uh, from, if you're Mississippi State, you got to be pretty happy with that results because it's a pretty good demonstration of that uh, toughness that uh, Coach Jans tries to preach to the team. And we'll see how that translates heading into SEC play this year. Yeah, and then because uh, we just really don't get those kind of sporting events around here. So it was nice to, um, you know, have something sports-related at the arena, I guess. Oh, yeah, definitely. Something uh, of consequence. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so the other big thing that happened this weekend was uh, Ole Miss just raiding the portal again. So Yeah, uh, Santa's been pretty good to them so far. Or Elaine Kiffin, depending on how you look at it. But um, probably the actually the news that dropped as we were at the game: Juice Wells, South Carolina's uh, well, former South Carolina receiver, top receiver in the portal, if I'm correct, uh, ends at Ole Miss, and they got uh, two big edge edge rushers, uh, Tyler Barron and Prince. Remind me again how to pronounce his last name. I don't. I believe it's Uman Mielin. Uman Mielin. We can just call him Princely. Princely. Either way. You know a lot more about Princely. Tell me a little bit more about him and Tyler. Um, I mean, Princely was probably Florida's best defensive player last year. Um, he really, you know, it's taken him a couple of years to kind of get into the rotation and make an impact. But, you know, the last couple of years, 
just, I mean, just a really good edge rusher. Um, there's a reason why he's one of the top guys in the portal, and I believe the top edge rusher in the portal. Um, you know, people always talk about how difficult it is to build up the trenches in the portal or whatever. But, uh, yeah, no, that's a really good grab for them. And um, I think the hope is that, or at least the hope I would have is that, you know, he doesn't have to be the guy at Ole Miss, right? He's going to have other guys there too to actually like help him out so maybe he's not gonna get double teamed as much as he did at florida no he will not and again depth not just talent at defensive line but depth is obviously really good it's obviously the most physical part of the defense so you're gonna have guys that get a lot of wear and tear and a lot of times it shows late in the season in the nfl it's november and december in college football it's in november and to be able to have those kind of guys so that you can still stay really fresh by that time of year is going to be big. Yeah, I believe um, it's also going to help that. Uh, I was looking through what our colleague Michael Katz reported on, um, you know, the other day when he wrote the story about Princely. It was that, um, you know, you're going to get super seniors Jared Ivey and J.J. Pegues back next year. So it uh, should be a pretty good rotation there. And if I'm correct, son Terry Perkins will have a more involved role as well. And he was already featured pretty heavily as a freshman. Yeah, so, you know, Ole Miss's pass rush was, you know, pretty good this year. So you can only imagine what adding a guy like Princely can do to that. 100%. I think you could make the argument that a pass rush is probably the most important part of a defense. You know, in an, in a in a – type of football these days where the quarterback is the most important position a lot of important factors regarding the game have centered around the quarterback obviously you have a have to have a good quarterback but the other two big things are you got to protect the quarterback and you got to be able to get after the quarterback on a consistent basis and it's really interesting to be able to see Ole Miss put an emphasis on that with Princely and Tyler Barron coming into the portal as edge rushers it's really demonstrating not only that, but it's giving Pete Golding a lot to work with, who showed improvement as last season went on. And it's it's also what you need, not just in the sport, but also to compete in the SEC, where it seems like every year at least about five, seven, a handful of guys on the defensive line in the SEC are usually in the first round or in or around the first round. Well, especially nowadays, where it's just like there's so many good skill position players in the SEC that you know, sort of the easiest way to not let the ball get into their hands is, well, you just take out the quarterback, right? You can't catch a pass that the, uh, that you can't catch a pass that isn't thrown. Yeah. If, if, if you're the kind of def, yeah, it, uh, for a lot of those skill position players, it's uh, hard to be able to make plays when by the time you look back, the quarterback is either scrambling or running for his life or just down on the ground. Yeah. So, uh, between that and juice wells, uh, yeah, it should be real interesting to watch both sides of the ball next year. It will. And I think you talked about how Wells is kind of going to take on that Dayton Wade role where he's going to take a lot of reps and work from the slot, I believe, a lot of times and just demonstrate a kind of versatility on the offense, if I'm correct. Well, at the very least, it just gives you more depth. You know, you're losing one of your star wideouts. Fine, just replace him with another. So, yeah, Wells was a first-team All-SEC pick in 2022. Um you know, and you figure that, you know, you can throw him in there with Trey Harris and Jordan Watkins and, you know, pretty much everything should be fine. 
Definitely. I and mean, if I'm correct, there is one more defensive lineman who Ole Miss has really been keying on these past couple of days and who a couple of people think might end up at Ole Miss. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of, I guess, what the rumor mill has is Ole Miss has favorites to land Walter Nolan, who's, I believe, the number one overall guy in the transfer portal. So that would be a heck of a splash. Absolutely. And, I mean, again, depth. Obviously, it would obviously help for depth, but I think other than that, it just has the potential of you bringing in a game wrecker, which, again, as as important as depth is, at some point you need about at least one, maybe a couple of game wreckers. And that he, he has demonstrated the ability to do that. And, again, it would be just adding a few more tools to Pete Golding's tool shed. Well, yeah, uh, you know. Hopefully, as we're recording this, we don't get another Pete Golding shark emoji. I've had his Twitter page pulled up in another tab, and I've just kept hitting refresh to make sure I'm not missing anything. So, fortunately, nothing has happened. Well, that's what tweet notifications are for. Well, fair. But refreshing his page every two minutes is more dramatic. So, You know what? That's a good point. I didn't think of it like that. But yeah, I mean, depending on what site you trust, you know, the actual placements will change a little bit. But, you know, for the most part, Ole Miss has had one of the top transfer portal classes. They're third on, on three, and I think they're first in 24, on 24-7. Um, point is, one of the top classes. I think also they have three of the top... 13 on 24-7 and like three of the top 20 on uh, on three, something like that. So, I mean, not only are they grabbing people, they're grabbing good players. And to, and to just to be sure, those top three on these websites are Juice Wells, Prince Lee, and Tyler Barron, I imagine. Because I remember Tyler Barron being number 16 on on three and Prince Lee being number three on on three. Yeah, Barron's the third. Barron's the third, okay. Yeah, sorry. So it's Princely at uh, three on on three, and then uh, Tyler Barron at 16, and Juice Wells at 20. Juice Wells, okay, got yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's... I mean, this is not a new strategy at Ole Miss. It's not, but I think you could argue that it's being done better than it has in the past since Lane Kiffin got here. Yeah, and it's just interesting because the uh, two teams ahead of them on uh, on three are Colorado and Louisville, who both have more transfers. And so Ole Miss's average score is, like, way better, especially compared to Colorado because Colorado's 16 guys in, but, like, the average score is way down. Right. Like, Colorado has more guys, but not as many guys in, like, the top 20 as Ole Miss does. Right, right. Yeah, no, it's a lot of, like, three-star transfer guys. Okay. As opposed to, you know – Guys with much higher scores like Princely. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. Admittedly, I've been a little checked out of um, UF football. Um, for those who don't know, it's where I went to school. But uh, they haven't exactly been appointment television. So between that and, and work especially, uh, I've been admittedly a little checked out. Yeah. it's uh, You got one transfer, right? Or at least two? I think it's three. Three, all right. But, yeah, was still – it's like three transfers in for like 17 guys who have transferred out. So, yeah, so. It's not but, yeah, no, yet. no. when you're asking for insight on Princely, I'm like, well. 
yeah. So. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, um, you figure with the playoff expansion happening next year, this is pretty much exactly the kind of offseason you want for Ole Miss. Definitely. If they can have a season where they win 10, maybe 11 games next season, especially because, you know, I think the schedule is going to – I don't know if it will be quite as tough as it was this year, and a lot of it has to do with, okay, well, how do the teams on the schedule pan out as the season goes on? But I do have – you do think that if you can – put up at least about a 9-10 win season at Ole Miss, kind of like last year, you have at least a very good shot at the playoff. Yeah, and I'm wondering also how much that's going to impact the uh, sort of, I don't want to call them also rands, but sort of the Penn State tier of teams, if that's going to help them at all. Because, you know, it's like, well, yeah, maybe we're not going to be top four every year, but we're going to make the playoffs every year. So I wonder how much that changes the recruiting pitch for people. Well, you know, it's one of those things where, at least in my opinion, it's one of those things where you just kind of have to wait and see how it plays out. You know, there's something when when new things start. There's, there's. I do try to think that you know, in sports and life, you got to try and see around corners. But when you're implementing something this new and this uh, this big, it's there's some things that you come to realize only when you've kind of spent a couple of years in it, like. The, the, the effect that the four-team playoff had on college football, we, we didn't really see that until about, what, three, five years into it. It kind of might be one of those things with the 12-team playoff where, you know, it could either skyrocket programs like Penn State or in that tier, or it might have the adverse effect or maybe not. But, again, it's, it, it's really hard to forecast until the 12-team play, the playoff has actually been in place for a, a few years. Well, I wonder if it'll make it easier for you know schools like Ole Miss to be like, well, if we have a bunch of guys returning, in especially in important positions, well, why don't we just get the NIL collective going and um, go all in for a year and see what happens? Yeah, and, and it's a really good strategy. Again, Jackson Dart, obviously a really, really talented quarterback, and Quinshawn Judkins, who is becoming is from what I heard is trying to become a little bit more versatile. I think that he wants to be, he is at least conditioning himself to be using the passing game a little bit more often. Uh, it'll be interesting. It'll be really exciting to see how he progresses in his junior year. But, you know, with those two guys back and the opportunity for a 12 team playoff and with where you finish, you want to be able to capitalize off that momentum and at least, and try and put all of, if not most of your chips in the middle of the table. Well, it's going to be interesting next year because presumably it's going to be, you know, the four power four conference winners plus a group of five and then you know filled out with what uh seven at large bids so i'm doing the math right something like that from what i originally the plan was before people started poaching the pac-12 the plan originally was okay we're gonna have six automatic bids which are gonna be the five power conferences and one power five but I think about a couple months ago, somebody or at least a couple of people proposed, hey, maybe we, instead of making it 6-6, six, six, we should make it five automatic bids and seven at-larges. Admittedly, I'm not sure which one they went with, and I'm not sure if the process has been sorted out, but it's going to be between one of those formats. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see, but I think um, it, it's, it's a huge opportunity for you know a team like Ole Miss that yeah, maybe with where Ole Miss just kind of sits in the college football landscape, 
maybe making a 14 playoff is a little too ambitious, but uh, a 12 team playoff for sure, especially coming off a um, potential New Year's Six win. Could build a lot of momentum heading into that. Yeah, so, and who knows, as we get closer to um, kind of the early signing period, maybe uh, some of this transfer portal momentum will turn into uh, high school recruiting momentum. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see. And again, I, we, we mentioned Walter Nolan could make his decision really any day. It might be today, it might be a couple of days from now, but uh, a lot can still happen in these next couple of days. And you know that uh, regardless of whether Nolan comes to uh, Ole Miss or not, that you know, the Rebels are not done in the transfer portal. They're never done in the transfer portal. Absolutely not, though. They're gearing up for what they hope will be a very big run in 2024. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Is there anything else you wanted to add on this? I mean, that's the big stuff. But as I said, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next couple of uh, hours, days, weeks, maybe minutes. Let's see. All right. Sweet. Uh, well, if you want more of our uh, Ole Miss or Mississippi State coverage, uh, feel free to check out our lineup of newsletters at djournal.com slash newsletters. And if you want to join the conversation with other fans, check out our Mississippi State sports discussion or Ole Miss sports discussion groups on Facebook. So uh, once again, um, you know you can follow myself on Twitter at bfarrell727 and James at JSMurphyMedia. Um, but anyway, uh, thanks for listening and uh, have a good one.